0: That's linkedin.com slash MPN. Terms and conditions apply.
2: In an attempt to uncover all the ways influence impacts how and what we discover, purchase, and recommend to each other.
1: Wow. And where can people subscribe? Go to
2: theartofswaypodcast.com. Find the show at marketingpodcasts.net
0: or search for The Art of Sway wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the making of a marketer, the podcast that takes you around the world of marketing, one topic at a time hosted by digital
3: marketing consultants, Jess Nickerson, and Andy Pondillo. We welcome you to join the conversation. Stream us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Now here are your hosts, Jess and Andy. We are back on this wintry day and the making of a marketer with another new episode on this Friday. So excited to be here and excited for winter, Jess. You know, winter is coming, they like to say. Are you a Game of Thrones person at all?
4: Yes, I did watch the last season.
3: Did you watch all the other seasons or just the last season? Just the last season. So you, you watched it after winter was already here. So but <laughs> winter was true. coming for a decade before then.
4: Yeah, so I, I I do need to go back and
3: look at winter, winter coming versus winter has arrived. But you know, if you're familiar, so you know, right now, like where I'm living in Pittsburgh, it feels like I'm north of the wall. So very snowy, like it's up to my ankles right now. So like we're in the thick of it and um as a southerner um originally this is still fun like you know i'm like a little kid when the season comes around but everybody tells me that handy hey, if you had to drive in this you wouldn't find it as fun which i can believe that so um enjoying this if you're experiencing experiencing some cold weather which a lot of us are right now hope that you're bundled up inside and we got a great episode on hand for you today
4: Yes, I had my my moments growing up in the Midwest. And my tip is shoveling is actually an incredible exercise. I remember having to shovel with my dad, like sometimes two to three times per
3: day. We haven't done that yet, but I was just looking at it and I was like, okay, yeah, it's going to take a little work. So uh, Kristen helps me, my fiance, because I don't know the proper mechanic of shoveling. I kind of just run the shovel over and launch it. We actually have a snowball thrower, which has come in handy. So that's been um, a nice little tool that we have basically gobbles the snow up and launches it. So uh, we've been toying around with that. So you need any snow tips, Jess will be your expert. But if you need any marketing tips, we have a wonderful guest on hand today. We're going to delve into the world of healthcare marketing, which I've dabbled in, I like to say there's a lot of verticals that I've dabbled in in my career, like I've poked the stick in them a little bit. I have a joke later for how I learned how to be HIPAA compliant. It'll probably make our guests cringe a little bit, but it'll be fun. Um, So we're welcoming today, Melissa Fors She is a executive in the healthcare marketing space over 25 years experience, right, Melissa? So you've seen it all. And we've got a lot of topics to tackle today, specifically looking to, you know, talk about some of the stigmas in healthcare marketing. So I think this will be a very impactful episode for our guests.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me, me, and thank you for digging into this topic. I think sometimes healthcare and stigma are not the sexiest marketing topics, but it's something, I mean, frankly, we're all healthcare consumers, so it's something that impacts all of us, and all of us that are marketers, we can do things to help impact that.
3: Most definitely. And so much of us touch it in so many ways. And that's something I think we have to hit on because you could be a tech company, for instance, but you're maybe advertising some of your your mental health services or you're celebrating a day or, you know, like, how are you presenting it? It comes, you know, strategic, yes, but we want natural and we want to speak directly to the consumers in a way that is going to feel right for them. So I think it's important for us to, you know, go through some of these subjects. But first, Melissa, we do have a question for you that we ask everybody. And we really like your perspective as someone that has sat in the executive seat. So creativity is not only a role for you, but I know a role for your entire teams that you work work with. So when you do start to get stuck creatively, how do you get unstuck? Is there any method to your madness?
2: So I love that you asked this question, first of all, to all of your guests, because I've learned a lot and it's so great to get ideas from other people. And I think when I feel stuck creatively or just with any other challenge in my life, I first and foremost, always go to my network or to my group and I bounce ideas off of other people. And, and frankly, I think this comes from early and when I was much younger, right after undergrad, um, my first job out of undergrad was working and living in Japan. And in, I think you're familiar in Japan, oftentimes the group is more important than the individual. So I think that's really where I was very uh, kind of, it was very influential on me as a young person working there. So I am always an advocate of going to your network, finding really great people that you have respect for that you can bounce ideas off of and say, I'm really struggling with X, Y, or Z. What would you do here? Or I have this idea, what do you think about this? So even when I think about leading marketing teams, it's important for people to never think that they're in it on their own because we're in it together and we can collaborate. And that's where I love having a strong marketing network and just a strong network of, of friends when there's other types of challenges. But for me, I really I attribute it to my first job working in Japan.
3: I love that perspective a lot, Melissa, because I... Am actually future looking thinking about crafting this article about how social media manager the title becomes the loneliest person in the marketing room like I have a heavy hitting thing coming out. So I think it's interesting to hear these perspectives and one of the things that I'm going to talk about a lot is just feeling like your idea can be utilized so like, maybe you're not the final button pusher when you come up with the idea. But that, hey, the leadership is asking those questions. They want you to come up with ideas. Like even something now, you know, in my consulting work, one of the most empowering things for me is, hey, Andy, what do you think? You know, that is something that goes a long way. I think as marketers, we just get caught up in the, the go, go, go so much that we don't stop to think about that. So I really like that perspective. And I like that you were able to see this through another culture because I do think it's important to bring perspectives from all kinds of different places back into the marketing room.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and we're not in it on our own. And that's what we have to remember is especially you don't have to have every single great creative idea. You don't have to solve every problem on your own. And that's why we have our colleagues and our friends and our network to, to help us with that.
4: And what I also love about taking this team approach and, and focusing on the team uh, for the overall success is how much it's really tied then to our overall holistic health. Like if you're if you're focusing more of your success as a team versus as the individual, then I think you're just gonna be in a better place from a, a mental health standpoint, just from feeling good and the positivity that comes from that perspective.
2: I love that you said that because I think that's where a lot of us struggle. And when you talk about burnout and things, when it's all on your shoulders, that's pretty hard to kind of deal with on a day-to-day basis. But when you're struggling through it arm-in-arm with, with your teammates or your colleagues or your network, I think that really helps us all and to know that we're not alone. And, and that's one of the, I think, lessons that we all came out of COVID um, with isolation that we do, we need other people.
3: Well, so let's talk about your journey in healthcare marketing, because a lot of the marketers I've worked with, like I feel like we put on this mask at work where we're talking about CPLs and conversion ratios and ROI. And then I try to ask the question, I used to do this when I conducted job interviews. What do you really enjoy about either social media marketing, digital marketing? And more times than not, I heard the answer. They wanted to drive some sort of mission, some sort of cause. They wanted to create a community or a conversation of some sort. So you've worked deep in healthcare marketing. You've become one of, I would say, the top, you know, two, one percenters of people that have worked their way up through this field. Tell us how you did it and kind of that North Star for you that drove you um, into healthcare marketing.
2: So I hope this uh, this whole podcast helps people to see that healthcare marketing is a fun place to work, and you can, if you are a purpose driven person, that it's great because you can feel good about what you do every single day. I kind of fell into healthcare marketing sort of through the back door. I started my career as you, as I said, I started working in Japan and came back and worked for a couple of global manufacturing companies, and then some software companies and financial services, and that's kind of how I found myself in backdooring into uh, the technology and data arm of Optum, and Optum is the health services arm of United Health Group, which is the largest payer in the, the country. So I kind of came in because of software and financial services. I fit really well there. I learned that I really liked working for a mission-driven organization, but I also saw that I had a lot of gaps because all these people I was working with had deep, deep healthcare experience. So I, I learned um, they're working on it for, for really selling to health plans and making a difference. It was a great role. When I was ready to move on, I knew I needed to round up my healthcare experience because all these people I worked with had all that. So that's when I went to a provider and I went to Hazel and Betty Ford, and they are the nation's largest nonprofit substance use disorder and mental health organization. And so for me, it was really exciting to go to the provider side of healthcare. Also, I'd grown up as a B2B marketer. This would also let me add B2C to the mix. And then beyond that, kind of as a side note, they were about to go through this merger with Hazelden and the Betty Ford Center, and they needed a marketer to really build and launch a new brand. And I mean, in the agency world, that's something they do more often, but for me, it was looked like once in a career sort of opportunity to develop and launch a new brand from two really iconic brands. So it was really, for me, very exciting. I know we'll talk a lot more about my Hazelden Betty Ford experience as we dig into stigma. From there, I I moved on to another Fortune 100 healthcare company on a whole another side of healthcare, the the PBM or the pharmacy benefit manager and pharmacy side. So now I feel like I've done kind of all sides of healthcare. I've done the health plan side, I've done the the provider side, I've done the pharmacy side. And so I feel much different than when I first joined Optum as a new uh, healthcare marketer where I didn't know what all these terms meant. I didn't know what all we were about. And I just, I found that I I loved healthcare because you really feel good about what you do because you are helping to, you know, save lives and to change families and um, make the world a healthier place.
3: So here's a crazy story about healthcare marketing, Melissa. And then we'll jump to, you know, more of our serious topic here and how I started working in it. So I've worked for agencies and certain digital marketing agencies. We do a little bit of everything, Like You look at our client roster, if that vertical exists, you do it at the agency usually at some point. So we had medical clients come to us, and in their internal marketing teams, it usually is a requirement and you have to have so many experiences in healthcare marketing. Once you get to the agency, you know they pitch, and you know they're like, sure, sure, sure. You know we're great at healthcare marketing. Then the project lands on my lap. Hey Andy, we need you to write for a hospital. And I start writing for the hospital. I've never written medical. I've never done any medical writing. I don't know anything about being HIPAA compliant, and I'm literally learning as I am writing the content. And I think back, like, hey, if I would have had this podcast or like you, and just like listen to something like this, probably would have helped me a lot, like crash course and learn. But it's just kind of like the funny story about how sometimes you get introduced to verticals, and you know, you can you can run with it. You know, if someone, you know, where I was in that position. You know, I started to put that on my resume. Down the line, I worked for another agency where um, I worked a lot more in the healthcare tech area. So, um, you know, the during COVID, it was real big for virtual appointments, virtual um, therapy, things like that. I kind of like learned the strategy with those types of companies. But if I didn't have this crash course experience beforehand, I may have not gotten that job later on. So it's kind of just interesting when you talk about your roundabout journey. But I also think it's a real topic as we talk about this today is that we're talking about healthcare marketers, but there is a lot of people that just crash course in healthcare marketing because they work with some sort of partner and they're learning it in the moment.
2: Yeah, and I think hopefully you found it rewarding to work with those types of organizations because it's a little different. I mean, you can sell a widget. You can be a marketer and sell a widget, and that's great. There's lots of widgets out there. I started my career doing that. But it's different when it's you're working for hospitals or health tech or things like that, especially during COVID with virtual care, where it was something that all of us suddenly had to learn about. So I, I feel like it's a whole different uh, level of rewarding from a perspective for your
3: job always feel rewarding jess i i know you and i we like to talk about this like when we whatever it is we're doing whether you know it's currently at linkedin as consultants our past we always want to feel like we are speaking to the customer and i think you and i we try to it's almost like i have to talk this out loud sometimes because i have to continuously remind myself is that you know, we need to talk to the customer, but it's rewarding when we see the customer succeed. And I think there's, you know, a lot in marketing where we talk about, um, you know, metrics and relationships and return and all these things. But at the end of the day, if we're angling our strategy towards that and we know we get the reward out of it, and I definitely know I did in healthcare. care. So um, I, I feel like I get something out of every vertical, but it's always extra impactful when it's something like this.
4: Definitely. I, I'm just remembering uh, a fun fact here. So, in my early days in agency life, and then uh, moving over to LinkedIn after working at Microsoft, United Healthcare was actually one of my first clients. And I was helping them reach and uh, attract nurses across the country. And so, I look back and I think, I wish I had. Like the experience with the healthcare system, uh, via now uh, having uh, two babies and staying in the hospital and interacting with like incredible nurses, incredible doctors. So it's like now I have these stories, and I I I think about it, and it's like oh I could have I could go back and I would know exactly how to position the advertising to reach these incredible people. But I do think uh maybe a silver lining with COVID is that uh COVID also helped to like elevate these stories from the the healthcare providers. And I, I remember like celebrating them and I don't know if you two banked pots and pans uh at a certain time during the day, but I remember like that was a a campaign. And so I, I think that's now a positive moving forward. There like so I'm not Not that you can just always like go into a hospital and interact with people at at certain ages, but I I always think about that where I was like, oh, if I only had the experience that I have now, I I could have been a much better marketer uh, with these healthcare systems.
2: But that's how the thing with healthcare, you were a healthcare consumer going and having two babies. You had to determine which provider you wanted to use. Then you had to find a pediatrician. How do you find which pediatrician? So you have to research it. You have to figure that out just like with any other major decision in your life. And so you think about things differently because you were on the other side of it, and you understand it better. But also as a healthcare consumer, then you understand what other people, how they're making these choices and why they make the choices.
3: So Melissa, let's get it to the stigmas in marketing now. So, we talk so much here. We just, you know, talking about choosing a doctor, that's storytelling. Everything is storytelling when it comes to both digital and social media. But with storytelling, when you're in healthcare space, you can almost create some stigmas that can be, you know, damaging if you're putting out the wrong picture, the wrong voice, the, the wrong representation of what our story is supposed to be. And I, I found, you know, reading... some of your articles talking about utilizing maybe the wrong picture on an ad you know like for something i think you believe you talked about like a rehabilitation clinic and, and having someone that looks a certain way and that's not what you represent in terms of the services that are provided so i'm super curious about some of the stigmas that are out there what you're seeing and how You're kind of, you know, attacking, you know, fixing this within marketing. And then also just for our listeners that this might be something, you know, just a completely kind of like new thought process for them, kind of just lead us through, you know, what you mean by stigmas in healthcare marketing and how we can get better with it.
2: So there's, I think I put stigma sort of under the umbrella of the greater inclusive marketing. And I think we've gotten, we've made a lot of progress in inclusive marketing, I think we think a lot about having different races and genders and ages including people from the LGBTQ community including people living with disabilities. We've gotten really I think thoughtful and deliberate from as a marketing community in that perspective, but we still have to be cautious about perpetuating negative stereotypes. And we can do that a lot of these uh conditions, healthcare conditions that are very stigmatized. They're just things that People still talk about it in the dark, they whisper about it, they they don't want their neighbors to know. I think uh, I applaud you all, Um, your guest on a recent podcast talked about her challenges with fertility. I just was, I was cheering it because so many people still to this day don't talk about that. And so by her just opening it up and it normalizes it. Um, Frankly, when when you're, my example I use all the time about stigma is when your kid needs braces, you will ask your neighbors, oh, which orthodontist did you use? You'll say, did the insurance cover it? Was your kid in pain? How long did he have the braces for? It's no big deal. You just talk about it in the grocery store line, checkout line. You ask somebody, oh, your kid has braces. Tell me about it. But when your kid has a mental health condition or struggling with substance use disorder, you're not telling anybody. And you're not telling anybody because you don't want the people at school to know. You don't want people on the baseball team to know. You don't want your neighbors to know. You probably don't want your sister to know. And because it's still so stigmatized, but then you're not getting the care that you should. You're not getting the good care. Because Jess, I'm guessing when you were looking for a, uh, a provider to have your babies, you're talking to your friends, you're researching it. You're, you're trying to figure out what's the best care, what's the best place, who had the best experience. So with these stigmatized conditions, oftentimes families suffer in silence, and and that's part of the problem. The good thing with all that is we as healthcare marketers can help with that. We can work to not perpetuate negative stereotypes. We can talk about these things, and that just brings it out of the dark into the light, and that's what happened with uh, your recent guest who talked about fertility. I mean, there's so much good stuff happening in the fertility space right now, and a lot of it's because women founders are founding companies because they had challenges and they see that they have a way to find a solution. And so they're out there telling their own personal stories and they're trying to solve it for other people. And that's just smashing that stigma around fertility right there. And and I think we as healthcare marketers, we can just be really cognizant about that. We're really careful about not perpetuating a negative stereotype about uh, a person who's older or a perpetuating a stereotype about a Gen Z or what have you, but we can also be cautious about how are we portraying somebody uh, with obesity, um, somebody living with a disability, somebody living with mental health challenges. So those are things that I think we as healthcare marketers can really impact and bring that all those conversations out of the dark and into the light and just normalize it.
3: So let's talk about the tactical side of this, Melissa. When you are telling your story on your different marketing channels, you know, when it comes to healthcare, one thing I learned when I dipped my toes in is that there's things you can say, can't say. There's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of approvals. So what I found what happened is sometimes we would have this great idea to kind of like personalize an experience. And then by the end of it, it became like, come visit our hospital, ranked 15th in the U.S. Like, And then we would get away from kind of that one-to-one marketing style. So what's your tactical side as a leader to ensure these stories are told, told the right way and you are tackling these stigmas in a way that's appropriate for the end user?
2: So what are the things just in general, I'll start with substance use disorder, but then I'll talk about a couple other examples. But with substance use disorder, there tends to be some sort of unethical providers out there and a lot of that uh, a lot of them are preying on these families because they're not talking about their con- their situation with others and so they're very vulnerable to be preyed upon by somebody who might be not the best care for them. There's some folks out there that say that they have 100% cure rate but substance use disorder is a chronic condition and, and the research scientists tell us the data doesn't say that there's 100% cure rate but somebody might be sucked in by that type of a message. So I absolutely hear what you're saying and I think Um, what, what I've always tried to focus on is focusing on the positive that there's life-saving care available and kind of opening up the door. So somebody is willing to reach out their hand and get help. And uh, a great example, I I used to be on the board of the American lung association and and they can do great organization. They can do a campaign about just about anything. The data told them that former smokers were not getting scans that were available to for early detection for lung cancer. And I tell you, one of the most, I believe one of the most stigmatized conditions is smoking related lung cancer, because people will say, well, he deserved it. And they'll blame the the person for their condition. And and we all know nicotine is a super addictive substance. And we can't say anyone deserves to get cancer. Um, The American Lung Association, they just leaned into the stigma and they said, I'm gonna throw that out the door. We're gonna do a campaign focusing on smoke, former smokers because if you're currently a smoker, your physician's gonna have a conversation with you about getting scanned for lung cancer. If you're a former smoker and you're too ashamed to tell your doctor that you were a former smoker for 20 years or what have you, the doctor's never gonna have the conversation with you about getting scanned for early lung detect- or early lung cancer detection. So the American Lung Association, they did this this, uh, campaign called Saved by the Scan. You can check it out on savedbythescan.org. And they leaned into speaking directly to former smokers saying, hey, there's this early detection scan available. And if you ever smoked, you should look into it. And when you talk about, I mean, you guys talk a lot about storytelling on your podcast. When you talk about the stories of people who say, I saw your billboard, I saw your commercial. And I thought, oh, I am a former smoker. I've never talked about it with my doctor because I'm ashamed. I, they go ahead and they get these scans and they find early, early stage lung cancer. It's amazing. When I first watched it, I, I was just bawling because the stories are so incredible. Um, but that I think about, they just leaned right into the stigma and they said, we're gonna smash this because it's the right thing to do. And it's what the data is telling us that these people aren't getting this um, these scans. So that's just one one amazing example that I I like to repeat, and I'm I'm lucky that I was part of the Lung Association to to learn about
4: that campaign. I, I love that story. I, I I feel like it's similar nowadays uh, to with depression, and and I I feel like more doctors and healthcare systems um, are leaning into it because now i go to every appointment and i'm getting either screened i'm i'm answering a survey the the nurse that is checking me in she talks about or he or she talks about it and yeah so i just i i love the approach of just yeah just like let's be let's be direct and and like you said it it's it, it helps to remove that stigma just just talking about it
2: well, and that's the, I think it's a, one of the gifts of the pandemic and being isolated is that all of us experienced some level of anxiety and depression, isolation. So it gave us all a better understanding and it it did normalize talking about it because all of us were feeling it. And so now we all have that common touch point that now we can talk about mental health. We can talk about anxiety. We can talk about depression because we, we all experienced some level of it. There's no way I think Anybody went through the, all that isolation without feeling something like that. So that that's a gift. That's really a gift to us um, because when we talk about things publicly, it normalizes it. When you have uh, two of the greatest athletes of all time, Simone Biles and Michael Phelps, talking about their mental health challenges publicly, it normalizes it because if they can experience anxiety or depression, well, just a regular old person like me, well, then I certainly can too. And they sought help and they're very public about seeking help. So then, oh, just regular person me, I can also seek help. So all of that, all those types of conversations, normalize it. And um, I think both of them at different times have been you know paid spokespeople for different mental health organizations and wonderful in that, the fact that they're out there telling their stories and making it okay for people to ask for help.
3: I just love how, Melissa, the way you're approaching healthcare marketing, I think, is engineering it into the story that's being told. And, you know, so much of just like, you know, real strict marketing school is like rankings and visit us and conversion rates and things like that, where you're taking it really back to that storytelling and human aspect. So I think it's just beautiful the way you position this and how you're talking about how if one person goes and gets screened for lung cancer, and that helps, you know, you feel like you've won right there. So hearing it from your level, I think is really impactful for those who are trying to find kind of that spot, you know, in marketing where they can, you know, really live out their dreams and, and have that connection with the end user. So um i definitely apologize for that and also just being able to talk about these things like i'll say it from my perspective generally like the thought that is told to me by my peers is that hey andy is your person that's calm in any situation put andy in front of a ceo put andy in front of 5000 people he's trained up in radio like he doesn't get the jitters he's calm and collected which I pride myself and I'm also very fortunate because I do have people close to me that suffer from diagnosed anxiety where it is a much more impactful part of their life. But even me, I'll say during the tech layoffs and the things that happened over this past year, there were days like I felt so anxious. You get that feeling in your chest, you know what I'm talking about? Or you're like, just like, you can't even stop to be present because you're thinking about everything two and three steps ahead hearing someone like you and hearing other leaders talk about that from an anxiety lens, that's something that's helpful to me. So I know it's helpful to a lot of other people. So I think it's impactful to stories we tell.
2: Yeah. I, when you talk about stories again, I'll reference the woman you had on your podcast, who your guest, who talked about fertility, her fertility journey. I, the other one, when, from a storytelling perspective that I have so much respect for, and I don't have any tie to the organizations, but it's around HIV AIDS. When you talk about stigmatized health conditions, that's very, very stigmatized. And you see in recent years, they're just leaning into it and throwing, throwing their stigma out the window. And they're advertising on national TV in the middle of a football game. And they have medications for people um, living with HIV and AIDS. And they're shiny, happy people thriving. And I feel like that for me, that's storytelling. And it's saying we're not going to perpetuate a negative stereotype, like with a substance use disorder or mental health, you know, suffer in silence. They're saying these are people that are thriving and they're putting these advertisements everywhere. And I just, I applaud them so much. I think it's just, it's bold, it's smashing the stigma and it's changing what everyone's stereotypes are of people living with this condition because they're over and over, you're watching these clips, and they're they're showing people getting married, traveling the world, mm-hmm. um, doing all these different things, because it's that's us as marketers helping to change a stereotype.
3: So Melissa, let's take us into that creative room. So getting tactical again, when you are coming up with this imagery, and you are trying to change the stigma, what how does that conversation go? So like a place that I see it, from my personal standpoint is I'm an asthma sufferer. Fortunately, it's under control. But there's been times where, hey, I've been like clicking all over, like looking for doctors and doing these different things. Every single ad, if you're watching a video feed, it comes up, it's someone like holding their chest and like looking like they don't have an ounce of oxygen left. And I'm like, you know, like it's not that bad all the time, but those are the ads I got hit with. So um, it wasn't inviting as you're saying. So I'm curious, like how you get into the room talk about this and then make it natural for the end user for them to want to engage.
2: So the ads you're referring to are just perpetuating that stereotype of somebody with asthma. instead the real person living with asthma is yourself and you're living your life. It's under control. So I think we as marketers have to be cautious in all of what we do in not perpetuating negative stereotypes in substance use disorder, frankly, You see a lot of, if there's a story about addiction on the evening news, they're going to be showing very kind of negative stereotype B-roll of somebody. They're going to show pills, someone smoking a substance. They're going to show people drinking too much alcohol. All these different things are just perpetuating the stereotype. But also in in substance use disorder, frankly, it could be very triggering for someone. If someone's working really hard to stop using drugs or alcohol and then they're seeing these images, That's just, it it oftentimes can be very triggering. So I know that's one of the things when I was at Hazel and Betty Ford, we would choose not to use triggering images and we'd choose not to perpetuate negative stereotypes. Instead, focusing on the after, like you living and thriving in your life, living with asthma, you're not sitting around holding your chest, you're thriving. And so that's the same thing with substance use disorder. We can show families getting the life-saving care that they need and then they're thriving and the families are doing well and that's what we want to show people is like I said with some of those commercials, shiny, happy people because there is life-saving care available versus perpetuating the negative stereotypes that we so often see. And, And like I said, I think we're pretty cautious. We're trying to be more cautious these days with our inclusive marketing to not perpetuate negative stereotypes of different groups. But then we forget about things like like obesity, for example. Obesity is like in the um, the conversation these days because People Magazine is talking about Ozempic, which is a drug for obesity. And I think oftentimes you see obesity, um, the negative stereotypes around people living with obesity perpetuated in the media, you know? And And these days, I think we're shifting the conversation because it's a medical condition and there's medicine available. So I think it's shifting that conversation. And if you understand it's a medical condition, that negative stereotype of the person living with obesity goes out the window.
4: Melissa, when did this different approach and this different thinking, like click for you? Because And the reason I asked this is like, how can you help other marketers, like, like change, change the conversation, change the narrative?
2: So I think I just personally have been really passionate about inclusive marketing just because of my own lived experience. Like I I told you, I I lived in Asia. A lot of my friends are of different races. I have a mixed race family. I've got extended family members that are Spanish speakers. A lot of my girlfriends are uh, members of the LGBTQ community. And I have a girlfriend who has a spinal injury and uses a wheelchair. So I feel like my lived experience, okay, inclusive marketing is very important to me because I think about people in these different groups. Um, And when I think about stigma, Working at and Betty Ford really impacted me. As the marketing leader there, my job is to bring patients in the door. And then to discover that our number one competitor was not another provider, it was do nothing. So it was families coming to us saying, we're really concerned about our loved one, that they have a problem with drugs or alcohol, and then they would do nothing. And oftentimes that was because of the stigma. Well, my kid can't have a substance use disorder, because then it means I'm a bad parent. Or mom can't go to substance use disorder treatment treatment over Christmas because then what do the relatives all think? And because of that stigma, and so oftentimes people just wouldn't get the life-saving care that they needed. So at Hazel and Betty Ford, I feel like that's really where I got super passionate about. We as marketers, we can create stereotypes or we can smash stereotypes and we can do so much to influence things. I mean, the Betty Ford Center was founded by Mrs. Ford, who was the former first lady. And um, people forget that breast cancer used to be very stigmatized and people didn't talk about breast cancer. But while she was in the White House, she had a breast cancer diagnosis that she was very public about. And she was public about her treatment. And that's really what changed the whole conversation to make us all think now breast cancer is just a normal thing and no one's ashamed to talk about it. But she really smashed that stigma by being open about it. Same thing when she got her treatment for substance use disorder after she left the White House. She could have kept it private, but she went public about it. And that opened the door for so many women who were struggling with drugs or alcohol to get the care that they needed. So for me, a lot of that came from working at Hazen and Betty Ford and just looking at these families that were so stigmatized, felt so stigmatized and so ashamed. And they're just whispering about these conditions and they're it's all in the dark. And as marketers, that's the kind of stuff that we can impact. We can change stereotypes. We can hold people up. Um, we don't have to show people with asthma, you know, clutching their chest. Andy, we can show people like you living their lives. We can, you know, that's the kind of stuff marketers can do. And uh, and and we're good at, frankly.
3: Melissa, to wrap this up, I first want to say it is so refreshing to hear your enthusiasm. I know that I hear it, just you hear it, and our listeners will hear it. How much you believe in your marketing strategy as an executive. One of the common topics that we both get, you know, just in the industry on this podcast, everywhere, it comes from, you know, executives, directors, practitioners, not all finding like a middle ground for like what they believe in and like what marketing's supposed to be. So to hear it coming from your level, it not only impacts who you're marketing to, but it also impacts those that work for you because it gives them that oomph that they can do this in their career. I've worked with some of the best marketers that got out of marketing in less than five years experience just because they felt as if maybe they sold their soul and they just never found that there was a purpose. And I think it's so important to remember that marketing has a purpose. There is an end user beyond our digital charts that we look look at in our algorithms so i want to conclude with this as somebody that might be looking to get into healthcare marketing maybe they're not in it right now maybe they're starting to dip their toes in it maybe they've dabbled in it an agency what advice would you give them to try to get started in this field and is there anything they can kind of start doing to angle their careers in that direction
2: First of all, I'll say we need great marketers in healthcare. Healthcare doesn't tend to be the cutting edge in marketing. There's a lot of other industries that are much more forward thinking, have you know, adopted things years ago that we are just getting to in marketing today. So I know we talked a lot about the storytelling and marketing, but we need great digital marketers. We need folks who understand personalization, understand targeting, understand analytics, we really need you in healthcare, and if you have those talents, you have those skills and those talents. You can just as easily come over into marketing. It's it's the same sort of practice, but what we need you we need you because we need to get more advanced. There's so much pressure in healthcare today on you know finances and things. So we we need great marketers, and it's very those skills are very very transferable into healthcare, and and we know that young marketers today or young you know, just young people in general want to have more purpose in their day-to-day lives. And yes, you can work for a really cool tech company and sell software. Yes, you can work for a cool manufacturing company and sell widgets, or you can come to healthcare, whether it's on the B2B side or the B2C side, and you can just feel really good about what you're doing. You, you might not touch patients every day or might not touch patients ever, but you are impacting the lives of people and you're making the world a healthier place. So that's what I would just say. You can, if you're a great, talented marketer, especially if you're a great digital marketer. Um, please think about healthcare because those skills are very transferable, and we desperately need more advanced uh, marketers in our field.
3: Well said, Melissa. This was a wonderful, wonderful topic for us, and I think that there are numerous ways we can expand on this discussion so look for jess and i to reach out again especially as you know we get to some of these months and weeks order some themes i think it would be important for us to talk about them more directly as they come up so Uh, We'd be happy to have you again, and we're excited to see what she'll be doing on uh, LinkedIn. Follow Melissa Forshackleford for just her posts. You provide great wisdom, your articles, your blogs, some of your other podcasts. I highly recommend you look at her content if this is a field you're looking to learn more about or get in. So thank you so, so much, Melissa, for your time today.
2: Yeah, thank you both for having me. This was great. I really appreciate your time and digging into a topic that people don't always talk about.
4: Thanks, Melissa.
3: Thank you. So Jess, that is awesome (laughs) context right there. Like I feel (laughs) pumped up and like motivated to do some marketing right now. But here's like my first thought. I need to hit it while it's fresh on my mind is there are a lot of levels of marketing where we're taught about negative framing in Mm -hmm. order to get the conversion. And that is a strategy that's used in e-commerce, B2C, B2B. It's used all over the place. Negative framing essentially tells the user there's something wrong, so you convert to fix the problem. But the way Melissa describes this in healthcare, like how damaging that could be. And there's like life or death situations we're marketing here, it was just a fascinating new perspective and something that like I'm going to sit and digest quite a bit after our podcast today.
4: Yes, you and I are so simpatico, Andy. Like that was my exact thought as well, just this idea. And we talk about it in every show, pretty much, how it's so important to focus on the customer's pain points, to understand, like, you know, what's wrong with the the customer? Like what's happening with the customer to cause a problem that's impacting them emotionally and uh well it can be emotionally, physically, like just holistically. And yeah, you're right. Melissa just turned that frame on its head and yeah she really opened up my perspective and thinking about like wow how damaging is this and it also reminded me too when we did book club with uh the book sitting pretty and uh we were talking about how just like the like the stigma around disability and and like almost treating This this community as if like they they have they have such a problem that they really can't contribute to Mm -hmm. this world and it's it's terrible.
3: It's so interesting because we think about how we consult and playing by the book and it kind of like the the talk track and things that we're taught to do, but I think it's a, a reminder and I think again, it's so important to hear this from the executive level that Melissa sits in because there is this is a topic we have to keep working on as we go through the podcast. There's this mentality, and it permeates all over LinkedIn on marketers' posts of like you against us type mentality with marketers and executives right now. Like it, I feel like has gotten worse, or people are just speaking about it more. got, like I'm not sure what it is, but with Melissa advising to have this freedom of thought, like to think about marketing as a human-to-human marketing strategy, it then empowers marketers to go back and be like, hey, this is what we were taught, but maybe it doesn't work exactly in this format for this vertical. You know, you can address almost pain points and that, hey, you have this condition, you need to probably do something about it, but you can actually address the pain points through a positive message of hope. And I thought that was something that was real consistent with her and how she views healthcare marketing. But again, if you don't have someone like that, that's championing these types of ideas, we'll all go back to the playbook. And, you know, we go back to the asthma picture with someone holding their chest that I'm talking about. So it's just, I think uh, that's something I think was just so positive for me to hear today, how... Melissa, twenty-five years of experience, still has this passion for the craft that she provides to the healthcare industry. Hmm.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. I, it was. It was incredibly inspiring, and I, I I love when we get these different perspectives. And you in and, and like you said, like you can you can step back, and it really makes you think. And when you when you put all of these different uh, perspectives together, or or you you take one thing from what a a, a guest, like Melissa says, and then you try to implement it in what you're doing, you're you're becoming such a more effective leader and marketer.
3: And really for any any vertical, because question we get asked a lot is like, show us creatives that are at the top of their game, companies that are doing it the best. And, you know, I can show those, like I can show hundreds of examples of why I like certain creatives. But there still has to be some freedom of thought that's applied that speaks to your individual story. In you know, our episode last week with Kat, she really focused on the story of Starbucks. That's going to be different than the story of healthcare. It's going to be different than the story of B2B SaaS. So, like, you know, you have to take these tactics and still, you know, institute a craft towards it. And that's why I feel like I've gotten really vocal when it comes to KPIs because I feel like KPIs have broken us as marketers to an extent because we're so focused on that all the time that it eliminates that freedom of thought and then it creates that monotony we all see on our social media channels. post I made recently is a lot of people, um, including marketers, will demonize companies that go viral. And I'm like, what's wrong with going viral? Like, I don't think it should be your whole strategy, but companies that go viral get more marketing impressions in one day than others get in an entire year because they told their story and it resonated to that level that people wanted to join their story. So it's just that freedom of thought of trying things. And I think that a lot of our guests kind of keep bringing us back to that. So it's important for us to keep telling that story.
4: Mm-hmm. And, and having... This human to human connection, like person to person, we we talk about it and thinking more about how your your marketing by by uplifting and sharing these stories and sharing like the positives mm-hmm. from these experiences.
3: And we need to keep hearing them. You know Melissa's experience about. Um, putting marketing out there where someone went to go get screened for lung cancer. It's marketing that can literally save somebody. So, you know, when you, when you, I hear the phrase all the time, you know, with marketers, I know you've heard this just like to say, Hey, we're marketers. We're not saving lives. Well, you know, in, in this, in this industry, you know, maybe you are, and you may never know that like you may never not, you may not have a direct conversion and that somebody like, one for one tells you that but if you believe in what you're doing and you're getting that message at scale you probably are having an impact somewhere Mm
4: -hmm.
3: but that's it for the time here for today Jess. like i've got a noodle on this one for a little bit because this was just a fantastic um episode all around next week We do have an episode coming with another senior leader. We have a CEO that's going to be joining the program. So I'm excited to announce that episode once we get further into the week. Again, continue to follow us on all of the channels if you want to see us on video, LinkedIn Live, of course, the making of a marketer. Um, But until then, Jess, um, I will be bundling up. Winter is here and I'll be trying to stay warm through the weekend. Sounds
4: wonderful get out that shovel.
3: Yes, it's going to be a workout. So (laughs) that's, that's going to be my next conversion is getting the shovel out and um, getting our driveway 100% clear. Love it.
4: Yeah, you don't, you don't need to go
3: for a snowblower for at least 40 more years. No, we need the exercise. So (laughs) I'll just try not to pull an oblique and then I'll be, you know, in healthcare marketing for a physical therapist. So um, we'll try to do our best there. But till next time, Jess, it's a lot of fun, and we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye, everyone.
1: You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy.